This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions. This is Dr. Muntu Davis, Los Angeles County Public Health Officer. Although anybody can become sick or die from COVID-19, studies show that the black community is at higher risk, as are people 65 years and older, people in nursing homes, and people with underlying health conditions. If you have to be outside, practice physical distancing, keep six feet from others, and wear a cloth face covering. Wash your hands often for at least 20 seconds. Let's keep our community safe, and to find health care, call 211. Brought to you by the L.A. County Department of Public Health. Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier, the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the largest woman-owned and woman-led advertising and marketing firm in Southern California. And at Frazier, we specialize in changing behavior, using communications to make the world a better place, and particularly in our own communities. We do a statewide campaign for First Five California called Talk, Read, Sing. It changes everything because we know how important it is to early brain development for parents to talk, read, and sing to their children from the moment they're born. But the show, The Deciders, is focused on featuring leaders and change agents who can talk about issues that are relevant to our businesses that are occurring right now in our communities. I ask people to share their stories and educate us so we make better decisions as business leaders. Now, today, we're going to be talking about the election. As we get closer to the November 3rd election, it's easy to forget that in addition to the presidential race and the vice president that we're looking at, there are actually 12 propositions on the ballot for California, and a lot of money is being spent on advertising to try to influence your vote. It's not always easy to get the information on the issues and help you decide how you'd like to vote. Today, we're going to be joined by someone who has studied the propositions and is going to help explain several of them, what it will mean for California. Please welcome John Kim, the Executive Director of Advancement Projects, California office. John and the Advancement Project have been focused on the needs of low-income communities of color and social justice. They offer recommendations and plans to change policies to expand opportunities for all. John, welcome to The Deciders. Afternoon, Renee. Thanks for having me. John, let's start with um, the, the way in which you evaluate and get involved in the ballot measures. How does the Advancement Project uh, participate? Sure. So as an organization, you know, we're not really built to be an electoral uh, machine in any particular way. This is not our, our bailiwick per se. We've uh, spent most of our time thinking about how policies and laws are implemented and whether or not uh, the research shows that they're doing a good job for communities all across the spectrum here in California. Um, but as you do that work, you, you begin to, to, to see how clearly ballot measures, particularly in California, and ballot initiatives are, are, are an interesting thing here in California, but how often we decide critical issues uh, through the ballot propositions. And so we've over time gotten more and more involved. Um, and for every election now, what we do is a social justice and racial justice organization, we review all the initiatives uh, as they are proposed uh, to see what kind of impact they might have on civil rights, racial justice um, sort of issues and, and dynamics, and then decide which ones we'd like to take positions on and or which ones we might actually take uh, active roles in. 
Which on that means that uh, you you look at the ones that you think are most relevant, obviously to your core mission. Uh, one that comes to mind right now is Prop 15. That's uh, as I have read that it's new taxes for companies owning properties over three million dollars, and ostensibly the funds are going to go to schools and education. Tell us about the proposition and uh, what position you're taking on that one. Sure. You know, we'd have to go back a little bit when we talk about Prop 15. Um, you know, the idea of California as a golden state, right? We nicknamed ourselves the golden state uh, all the way in 1968. Um, and back then, that golden state was a promise that we made to ourselves as a, uh, in terms of our future and to each other as Californians. But, you know, when you look back, the golden state didn't shine equally um, for all Californians, even though there were massive investments, public investments in UC systems and roads and, and neighborhoods, um, it didn't play out equally. And as communities of color um, started to grow because of uh, immigration and migration in California, um, and as these communities of color started to demand more of their rightful space and share of the of the goods here in California, um, there was a reaction to that. And in 1978, Proposition 13 was passed. And for the most part, Proposition 13 has done uh, uh, work to really manage uh, and equalize in terms of residential properties um, and, and been about making sure that uh, particularly elderly residents uh, are able to stay in their homes. But underneath that, uh, you actually find that there are massive corporate loopholes um, that corporations have taken advantage of uh, for 42 years now to the tune of about 12 billion a year uh, yeah, that large corporations have used and, and taken um, while we've gotten fewer parks, fewer services, our schools have really stagnated in terms of per people spending, and we're facing all the massive housing issues uh, that we really um, shouldn't be facing because Prop 13 was supposed to be about residential security. And in the end, it was a giveaway to corporations. I don't think most people realize that, uh, John. I'm glad you told us about that. Now, does Prop 15 close those loopholes? Because I know it only applies to commercial properties, as I understand. It absolutely only applies. It does not touch agricultural or residential properties. It only applies to commercial and industrial properties. And you had mentioned it as a new tax. And it actually, it's not a new tax. The tax rate for properties stay exactly the same. All it is is that it adds, it, it ensures that corporations have to play by the same rules that I as a, as a homeowner have to play by uh, and, and pay the sort of fair market share uh, for my property. Um, a, a research study from USC had actually found that because there are exemptions written into uh, the, the propositions, right? Any commercial property uh, or industrial property that is under 3 million will not be affected at all. Mm -hmm. um, because of those kinds of exemptions, it's actually 10% of commercial properties will pay 92% of this new revenue. So it's, it's just a top top corporations that will be paying the vast lion's share of this new revenue. Yeah, that's got to be made clear to people because uh, I, I think small businesses, I own my own building, you know, to be effective as my small advertising and marketing firm. We think about that, obviously, but probably uh, equally, not probably, definitely equally important is what, where does the money going to go? You mentioned parks, schools. Uh, the money actually will be split uh, about 60-40. Um, 40% will go to K-12 and community colleges, which 
not only do we know before the pandemic we're struggling, but in order for us to manage at all uh, this question of how we get back to safety, how we get back to good health, how we ensure education happens well across all communities, we are, we are in massive need of new revenues around uh, K-12 schools. Uh, and community colleges are just uh, you know, flat out the best on-ramp for opportunity for Californians. And so 40% go to those institutions. The remainder, 60%, goes to local jurisdictions like cities and counties. Um, so LA County as a whole, given all of its school districts, all of its cities and county, the county itself will see over $3 billion a year coming in uh, to its uh, local budgets uh, from this proposition. Now, <clears throat> so there'll be a lot of benefits and, uh, and it'll go broadly. It won't be isolated to one group, <clears throat> but 40% going to education, community colleges and K-12. How do you, do you know how it's polling at this point? Prop 15 well, is... Sure. Let me also just say this. I mean, because of how the mechanism works for this proposition, that's why you actually see nurses who are our heroes right now uh, yes. endorsing Prop 15. Teachers who are pulling ridiculous duty trying to do this remotely are endorsing Prop 15. And firefighters who are also, uh, you know, the guardians of us all right now, given these fires, are have also endorsed Prop 15. So it's all the people that we know that take care of us and that make this society function have all endorsed, along with Kamala Harris uh, and Joe and President uh, candidate Joe Biden, uh, as well as Governor Gavin Newsom have all endorsed. Um, so we're really excited about that. In terms of polling, uh, you know, the PPIC poll, uh, as well as the IGC poll have been coming out recently, and they all put it around the 50% mark, um, which is tight. Um, but we have a very large opposition uh, to this that is predominantly resourced from uh, multinational corporations, some from out of the state, and they're putting a lot of money against it. But Californians have been pretty resilient that it's time for us to close these loopholes and prioritize schools and communities first. Absolutely. And, and uh, prioritize education. I think uh, pandemic, as you point out, there's even a greater need. And you're right, teachers and nurses advocating for this make us reconsider and reflect. So We'll hope to see that proposition pass. It'll be interesting to watch. Now, let's talk about Prop 16. Tell us about that proposition. It's a very short one. I believe it's like nine words long. It's very short. And, you know, we have this history. Again, you know, what I see about this ballot is that uh, it is a historic ballot overall in that it releases California from some of the mistakes we've made in the past. Um, we've had some spasms here in California that have been fear-driven uh, and in some ways uh, underlying that has been racial animus. And so in the 60s and 70s, it was around housing and, and segregation and unfortunately around these property taxes, particularly commercial property. Um, and in the 90s, it was about getting rid of affirmative action. And what Prop 16 does, it actually reinstalls affirmative action because it was working. It was working in California to start lowering the gaps between women and people of color. Uh, and in the 90s, because it was a fear-stoked campaign, we got rid of it. Uh, and now we finally get to unleash ourselves from that mistake. 24 years, right? Uh, I, I'm familiar with this proposition uh, because I, as a woman business owner, I have seen government opportunities. You know, the, one of the ways my company grew is we handled 
Metropolitan Water District, the gas company. We did uh, Be Water Wise and uh, uh, many safety campaigns. We, through the state of California, were, was able to do Flex Your Power. And we had to really fight hard against big firms to get those contracts. They were not allowed to show any preference, even though we were women-owned and partnered with a lot of minority-owned companies, unfortunately. And I believe that when you look at the data, it looks like $1.1 billion every year has gone to large businesses that could have gone to small businesses. Is that how you see it, too? That's one part. There's an education component, but there's also a business component argument for reinstituting affirmative action. There certainly is. Along with the diversity that we've seen in our schools, we've seen uh, solid diversity in our business communities. Uh, And this is about saying, hey, let's give everyone an equal share. Let's give everyone a good shot uh, at being able to grow their businesses, grow their workforce in different ways. You know, when this passed, uh, when uh, the anti-affirmative action uh, measure, Prop 209, passed uh, in the mid-90s, I was at at UC Berkeley. I was a student at UC Berkeley. Um, And, you know, as an Asian-American student um, that got accepted to Berkeley under the auspices of affirmative action, I actually saw an opportunity not only to get a good education, but an opportunity to engage Californians from all, all parts of all walks of life from all different communities. And that's what you go to school for. You don't just go to school just to learn what's in the books. You go to school to actually see what the broader society is. And it's unfortunate when I go to some of these campuses now and just see such a dulling lack of diversity. Um, That's right. And so, you know, for me, I have kids. I have two young ones and I want them to inherit a state where they uh, actually have to go and compete by true talent uh, and be able to be exposed uh, in terms of all the diversity that the state has available to it. That's right. We want them to go to a school environment where they see different points of view and hear from different people. And just to be clear, this is not about quotas. Quotas were outlawed as a result of a Supreme Court case in 1971. This is really about consideration, right? Can you explain that in the academic environment, particularly when you think of the UC system? That's exactly right. You know, and and for any university or any institution that's got to make determinations amongst, you know, tens of thousands of applicants, they have to set some criteria that they would prioritize and duly score uh, given what the application uh, as submitted. Um, And are you going to account for the full experience, the full skill and talent of that of that person, or are you going to look at one or two or three particular numbers that baked into those numbers may be some inequities uh, that you just can't see. And so the idea is that this would offer uh, not just education institutions, but government contracts and, and a lot of other public institutions to look at race, to look at race in a way that says this would be one consideration of many in terms of how we make our determination. And this pandemic if anything, as well as the racial uprisings that we've seen uh, post uh, the murder of George Floyd, have shown that this fallacy of a meritocracy in California, that race doesn't matter and it just matters about how much energy you put into it, that we know that racial inequities is unfortunately baked in. And if you don't account for it, you're not dealing with the real issues. Uh, And so it just allows us to take it as one consideration of many. 
I think you're absolutely right. It allows us to correct for and be willing to look at other factors. Because as you said, people from different backgrounds bring different perspective and different views. It will change that. Now, the other ramification is when you look at the uh, young people going into community colleges and universities, we want diverse people in education. We want diverse people in engineering. We want our young people, our, you know, my grandchildren going to elementary school. I want them to see teachers of all colors. Right. And unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. Right. So go ahead. You know, I mean, we want also them to have a sense of nuance and justice in terms of how they walk in this world. Um, I saw a picture of two little ones, uh, most likely Latino and Salinas. This is a picture in Salinas. And they were using uh, the Wi-Fi, the free Wi-Fi at a Taco Bell parking lot, because that was the only way that they could go to school in this environment. Mm -hmm. And to consider those conditions versus the fact that when my kids, you know, complain when the Wi-Fi just slows down a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. on their Zoom. And the fact that we have different journeys and mountains to climb, unfortunately, and we want our kids to be able to say, hey, we're going to rationally and justly look at all of it. And we're not going to just go by, you know, one measure or another. We want our kids to grow up with a sense of justice. Uh, and not only that, the, the, the diversity that they would, they would be exposed to also is an, is an added benefit. So this is for me is I'm doing this for my kids, right? As an Asian American father, I'm doing this for my kids. Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. It's for our future and I, it'll make a, a, us back to that golden state that you referred to. You know, I, I see the, uh, the importance of this and the fact that it's shocking when you think about California that we don't have affirmative action. And I believe uh, we're one of only seven states that doesn't have it, that it's much more common across the country. It really is. It really is. We are. And again, this is where we just had a spasm and made a mistake in the 90s and put ourselves uh -huh. in the minority of states in terms of how we deal with race, uh, as opposed to the majority of states. And, you know, uh, in some ways, we got to catch up with the rest of the country. And we don't like to hear that as Californians. But that's the way it is in this particular regard. That's right. That's right. Well, let's turn to uh Proposition J. And from what I understand, that is the two that we just spoke about were statewide. Prop J is related just to the county of Los Angeles. Tell us what that proposition entails. So Measure J, and it is an L.A. county. Oh, you're right. Uh, it's Measure J. It is. Measure. And so for local uh, elections, so Measure J, uh, J for Justice. Um, it was a campaign. It's the culmination of a campaign focused on sort of reimagining L.A. County and how we deal with all that ails us. Uh, L.A. County, unfortunately, operates the world's largest jail system uh, with some of the worst racial disparities anywhere in the state. Um, and part of it is because we, for decades, were overly addicted to incarceration to solve all that ails us, uh, poverty, mental health substance abuse. Uh, and every time we saw something that, that we thought uh, didn't work for us, we would find a way to incarcerate it and put it away and act like it didn't exist. Um, and in the end, in the end, a nuanced first world country would actually say, hey, there are a multitude of issues that we face, and therefore we need a multitude uh, of, of tools to solve them. And our local budgets need to reflect that. We need to say there has to be alternatives to just incarcerating the problem. 
We need to think about how we provide care and support. We need to know how to respond to, you know, someone, a teenager feeling anxious with a mental health team, as opposed to with two armed officers. Uh, and so Measure J would actually um, take what is a conversation that we've been having in this county and, and a movement that this county has already been on to search for alternatives to incarceration and bake that into the budget. It would actually move 10% of net county costs, which is sort of our general fund, um, from the incarceration system into the care and service system, which is really, again, in this pandemic, what we need uh, and not what we had. Well, I think, you know, the diversion programs uh, that in the criminal justice system have been very successful. And you're talking about strengthening youth programs so you're preventing crime from occurring. And, and you know, when we look at incarceration and we look at individuals who commit crimes, there is a, a pathway you could see when you go upstream. And, and when you, uh, there's that parable about, unfortunately, standing by a river and babies are coming down the river and unfortunately drowning. Rather than just pull the babies out of the water, which is a good thing to do, you walk upstream and find the cause that's right. and stop it from occurring. And that's what I see Measure J is doing. It's really bolstering community systems that can slow down the rate of crime and the need for incarceration to begin with. You know, one of the things about Measure J um, is that it does exactly that. It looks upstream. Um, and, you know, in the end, what we are pretty sure of, what we and the research bears out, is that the number of officers does not make for a safer community. The number of resources is what makes for a safer community. Uh, we looked um, at, you know, when we figured out where we would, uh, you know, put roots down for our family and for our kids. And we looked like, hey, where are there more folks? Where are there more police officers? We looked at where are there parks? Where are there programming for youth? Where are there services for elders uh, as we have to take care of our, our parents? These are the things that we look for. And we look for places where, hey, if somebody's struggling, uh, with a domestic disturbance or, again, anxiety or other mental health issues, you know, there are other ways to deal with it than just looking at how to incarcerate it. And so the idea that the L.A. County uh, Board of Supervisors has actually put this on the ballot because they're ready to back it up uh, with structures and systems and the voters need to show up with the resources on this one. Uh, and again, it's, this is not a new tax. It's just a shifting and reallocating of the dollars. Exactly. I think that's important for people to know there's no new tax. It's just a shifting of money. Now, where would it come from? What what will be diminished as a result if this is passed? Well, some of that is yet to be confirmed and the Board of Supervisors will be taking uh, much of that action. Um, but a lot of what's written into it is that it would come away, that there would be a movement, a general movement away from the uh, sort of uh, criminal justice incarceration system to the care and support service systems. Um, and so uh, the Board of Supervisors will be able to play that through on the specifics, um, but all of the money will be money that's currently in the county budget through what's called net county costs. Again, it's sort of the general fund uh, of the county. What I like about it is it's California or Los Angeles County living its values, right? Exactly and right. and in, in light of what's been happening and racial injustice, the recognition of uh, how police force has been used inappropriately and in the amount of bias that's built into a system, this is a way of uh, of creating a positive impact in the in the in the community of, at large, and it will reduce the workload of the police force. Really, when you right. think about it. It's the uh, it's, it's truly the antidote. 
to what we're seeing. That's right. Police officers, I, I imagine, did not go into that work uh, to deal with the barking dog um, or to go get in the middle of d- domestic disturbances. They came in to, 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 to protect and serve, hopefully. Uh, and so it allows them to do focus on what they should be focusing on and get teams of support services to focus on everything else. You know, stepping back on some of these propositions, uh, the national election certainly is one of the most consequential potentially in our democracy. But this ballot for California is certainly easily the, one of the most consequential ballots we've ever had in a generation. And the way that we see it is that there are opportunities in this ballot to finally close the gap between the rhetoric of California and our actual systems and policy. Uh, there are propositions not only about closing corporate tax loopholes uh, or looking at this question of affirmative action, but also on re-enfranchising and giving the vote and voice back to those who have are returning from prisons and have serviced, uh, you know, fulfilled their, their debt to society. It allows maybe 17-year-olds to start the process of voting and, 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 and growing the franchise in that way. There are questions around rent control, questions around getting rid of cash bail, which we know is just a way to keep communities of color down. And so when it comes to racial equity, there is a slate of propositions and measures that really, for the first time, California can finally live into its values. I love what you're saying. It's a chance for us to demonstrate and walk the talk. And and these are all very worthwhile, and they're not all additional funds for people. It's important for people to take a very careful look and to be thoughtful as they look at their ballot. And more important than ever, to vote. Would you agree? Indeed. To vote and to vote early, Uh, because apparently in D.C. they can't even agree on delivering the mail on time. Uh, And so we got to make sure that we vote and vote early. Absolutely. We vote early. Well, thank you, John. This has been really helpful. This was John Kim from the Advancement Project advising us about two very important propositions, 15 and 16, as well as Measure J. And you can find our podcast at FraserCommunications.com to listen to this in detail again. Thank you for listening. Fraser Communications is a full-service advertising communications firm. You can find us at FraserCommunications.com to learn more and the podcasts of these shows. Take care, have a great week ahead, and please stay safe. This is a message from Dr. Barbara Ferrer of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. When you're with others who are not from your household, wear a cloth face covering. Always make sure your hands are clean before and after you touch your face covering. And wear a clean cloth face covering every day. Learn more at publichealth.lacounty.gov. To learn more about how you can protect yourself from COVID-19, go to publichealth.lacounty.gov. Brought to you by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions.